1: Welcome to Real Vision. It's Tuesday, October 6, 2020, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's TG Tuesday. I'm joined shortly by Tony Greer. But first, with the day's stories, Haley Drasnan.
2: Hey, Ash. Equity markets sold off on Tuesday after President Trump announced that he will be ending stimulus negotiations until after the election in November. You know, this puts a halt on a push to send trillions of additional dollars to Americans who are still struggling uh, due to the coronavirus pandemic and economic shutdown. We saw the dollar surge against most major currencies, bonds rallied, and oil pared its early gains. This comes as Fed Chairman Jerome Powell this morning made some remarks in a virtual economic conference. You know He's been outspoken in the last few weeks about the importance of fiscal stimulus to helping uh, recovery. And um, here is what he reiterated again this morning. I'm gonna read it for you now. The recovery will be stronger and move faster if monetary policy and fiscal policy continue to work side by side to provide support to the economy until it is clearly out of the woods. He mentioned that the risks of policy intervention are asymmetric The idea that too little economic relief from the White House and Congress, uh, you know, would result in a weak recovery and create unnecessary hardships. However, too generous economic relief, you know, the risks of it would be much smaller and would not go to waste. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how the markets react to all of this. Hopefully they won't get super spooked out, but uh, we'll be keeping an eye on it. So back to you, Ash.
1: TG, Tony Greer, welcome back. Good to be here. Ash, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. I got one question for you. How do you trade these markets, man? Man, head on a swivel, right? That's one of my mottos.
3: You can't literally take your eye off the tape lately. And uh, man, today was a great example,
1: huh? Yeah, walk me through it. Tell me about the roller coaster you went through today, how you think about the market, and what's happening right now.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think we should backtrack to- you know, to to get some footing and backtrack as far back as Friday, if you don't mind, because this is all
1: part of the market
3: scene to me, Ash.
1: Yeah, the scene definitely seemed like it started on Friday, right?
3: Yeah, that's what I mean, exactly. It was like one contiguous show that kind of all culminated right up and right just now, unfortunately, also with my favorite rock star of all time, Eddie Van Halen, passing away while we're setting up for this video. So. 2020 is just unrelenting with everything that's going on, right? So we come in on Friday and the president is going into Walter Reed with COVID. We have a heavy, heavy selling episode on Friday. We almost ticked minus 2,000 on the tick index extreme, which means, again, that everybody is hitting bids and there's heavy selling going on. But the market bounces off of thirty three hundred and rallies, right? So it was very interesting that we have these optics of the president going into the hospital over the weekend and there's major concern about his health. So the market takes that dip on Friday and it was a very serious one. So over the weekend, you know, you're you're you know fielding the headlines about what's going on with the president, but you're fielding other headlines that are coming through about the markets like Tavi Costa posted on Twitter that 2020 just set the record for the largest dollar volume of IPOs, right? We've got the largest number of issuances since 99-2000 era. That's big. Another bullet point that I caught over the weekend, Ash, investment grade issuance. Bloomberg article comes out and says September 2020, highest investment grade credit issuance of all time, right? The biggest month of all time. So just to keep in the back of our minds as a platform where we're starting off from a position of the Fed is inflating assets, it's important to keep in mind that this issuance machine is cranking away and that's another upstream riptide for the bears to have to swim against. So you, know, you wanna get a little confident over the weekend and hope that the president's coming out of it. And we come in Monday and with the word that he's getting better, it's just an all out risk on right, yeah. operation.
1: Tony, let me ask you a question. So, you know, obviously, this I think is probably the most serious incident uh, presidential health-wise uh, since the Reagan assassination attempt. Uh, you know, obviously, that's something as you pointed out on Friday, major shock to markets. So, when you are sitting in front of your terminal this morning, are you trading this? Are you moving in and out? Are you adjusting position sizing? Are you hedging? What are you doing when uh, when the when the news breaks? For example, uh, the president's condition uh, has improved and he's being released yesterday
3: complete binary uncertainty to really label it, right? You're really, I'm doing a lot of observing. So when you make the observation, look, this is what's important to me. I'm a price action junkie. So I'm still following every bit of price action. So to, to make a few price action p- points that I think are relevant, on Friday you had to observe that no matter what, we had bad news about a president's health. We had a nosedive in the markets and we had heavy selling. Yeah. And then look back on it, and the market rallied 70 handles in the S&P off of that bottom. So there were people at around 3,300 that were looking to put money to work. So to me, I went home with that feeling, and I'm saying to myself, now all we need is positive optics. We need Trump to get – We need all we need is Trump to live, and the market is going to hold and rally now. And so we came in on Monday, and I was very much thinking that that was going to be the case – We've seen a lot of money go into the markets and be put to work on Monday, and this Monday was no exception. We came in, we had, I think, all 11 sectors rally on Monday. We had the macro tailwinds of a weaker dollar and a stronger Euro, Aussie, and Juan. We had a 6% rally in WTI for the risk takers to hang their hat on. And then we had this higher high in the S&P right at the moving averages on a Trump headline. Right so now, you know, what's interesting is like what is the market going to perceive coming out of that? I think the tapes started to already reflect that Monday the president was gonna come out of the hospital and right. the, his positive optics just carried right through. So from Monday to Tuesday, right up until his last market moving tweet, we had a gung ho right. yeah, you know, we had a gung ho risk on bull rally. Right. That that was that was and probably will in some form continue.
1: Right. And so- then, of course, it's 2020, so nothing can stay the same for more than 30 seconds. And then you get this tweet that he's breaking off that, that President Trump is breaking off or has broken off uh, negotiations with the Democrats over uh, an additional stimulus package, and markets swing wildly. Uh, you know, from risk on to risk off.
3: Yeah. So literally straight line down in the S&P. And here I am, you know, I'm just going to be honest, Ash, I'm sitting here being observant and I'm bullish and I'm trying to convey my thoughts a little bit to people now that I'm positioned that I see what I've been expecting is actually happening. So I think the most important observation for me, even after in the wake of the Trump's new headline where he's postponing stimulus until after the election, is that all of these bond market moves did not unwind, or they haven't yet, right? We saw a rally in break-evens Monday and Tuesday. We saw a rally in the curve that steepened a great deal Monday and Tuesday. I think these were a reflection of the positive optics of the president coming out of Walter Reed Hospital, quite frankly. And I think that was setting us up technically for a really strong S&P rally. And that's everything that was happening. So I even pointed out today, I was trying to be studious on Twitter and convey some of my thoughts. And I'm measuring the distance from Fridays, the president's got COVID low that we clearly saw to the peak in the S&P. And the S&P was literally up 120 handles and gave half of that back. Yes, the, the crude oil was up ten percent, and it didn't give anything back. And copper was up five percent, and that didn't give much back either on the new Trump headline about stimulus, because probably because the LME isn't open. But we'll come in tomorrow and see what happens to base metals. But Ash, my point is, you know, these curveballs are coming out of the tape. Left to its own devices, the bull market is showing you that it's intact. Right, and you know, macro drivers and bond market. Inflation expectations are showing us that this rally is still intact. Now, we've got a problem. We have a problem because today's price action, if we're going to really analyze it, we saw a new high for the move. And we turned around and had an outside S&P day and closed on the low. We printed the close back below the 50-day moving average. And now, as a two-way trader, I've got to be concerned that we're going to back off in the S&P and potentially trade the next 100-day moving average dip down. And so I haven't even had the chance to figure out what price that's at yet, but I would imagine that given all of this weakness into the close, the defensive nature of seeing utilities rally sharply today, it feels like the S&P is going to have to back and fill. So that's my, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it right now, Ash.
1: Yeah, and now I'll add one last wrinkle, because again, it's 2020. Uh, I think it's after the bell here. We've got this huge report, 16-month investigation uh, by the House Judiciary Subcommittee, 449 page report released today. I'll just read the headline, uh, the lead straight out of the Wall Street Journal. America's biggest technology companies have leveraged their dominance to stamp out competition and stifle innovation, according to a Democratic led House panel, which called for Congress to force tech giants to separate popular online platforms from their business lines. So, wow. I mean, this is this story. Uh, it's There's so much there's so much noise. There's so much churn in these markets that I don't even see this story breaking through yet on the news wires. Uh, this is an absolutely massive story. Obviously, tech, the big winners uh, throughout the course of this COVID crisis, and it sounds as though uh, a Democratic-led House Judiciary Committee is talking about breaking them up. This reminds me of whatever it was, 1998, 1999, the Judge Penfield Jackson decision with Microsoft at this could be a, a significant, significant divestiture, especially because the names that, they're, uh, that, are, that are named here, and this is right off a CNBC headline, Facebook, Amazon, Alphabet, Apple, enjoy monopoly power and recommend big changes according to House Democrats. Wow.
3: So let's dovetail that headline with another observation that I made in the last two days. While the market's been rallying, FANG stocks have been going down. What right. a coincidence, Ash, right? What a coincidence that in the last two or two sessions, we've had a powerful market rally. We've had the all five Fang stocks go nowhere, and then we have this headline hit the tape. So you almost have to wonder if somebody knew that this headline was coming and kept a cap on FANG, because even the subsectors were rallying, right? Even even semis were exploding toward the high. Social media was rallying sharply with Twitter roofing into the election month. You know, software continues to hold the dips and rally and eat the world. And all of a sudden you have Fang going nowhere with everything in tech rallying in the last two days. And then you get the headline. So now we know why it wasn't rallying in the last two days and that that will probably whatever pullback is going to be caused by that headline you know, that's going to be the one that we need to study. We have to see now where this is going to shake out Apple and Amazon and Google on the downside if it's, you know, and, and to make sure that the upside trends stay intact, because if this antitrust thing in the wake of an Apple split ash, I mean, you know, this is the kind of thing that catches retail completely wrong footed and could cause a sell off that lasts for days or weeks. Yeah. So I'm, as you can tell, as a natural born bull for this kind of market, I'm very much concerned about, you know, pushing the stimulus back. But I'm also minding the fact that the real true moves in the market, that the, that the infl- inflation expectations that the bond market is trading off of, those are going to give me confidence that we are going to hold on this dip. And yeah. that, re- that reaction today was very reactionary you know, and just people unwinding things that they put on in the last two days as quickly as they can. That's my initial read of the
1: situation. Yeah. I mean, I, I would probably just add, look, it's 2020. We're still a long way from a breakup. This is, you know, one uh, one House subcommittee report, uh, you know, at this point, the, 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 the how Congress is constituted could change uh, in November, could change in November for January of 2021. Mm-hmm. We don't know who's going to be in the White House yet. So there are a tremendous number of moving parts. We have a Supreme Court uh, that has a swing swing seat uh, that is uh, currently in nomination. There are a lot of moving parts in this. But listen, it is really interesting. And I will tell you this, Tony, uh, my uh, conservative intellectual friends have been screaming about the power of Silicon Valley for years now. So this is not something that is just limited to uh, you know folks on the left who who may be perceived by uh, by some as being anti-business. This is something uh, that it, there is a broad base of support in red state America who are very concerned about the power that you hear when you when you talk to conservatives, when you talk to especially conservative intellectuals. They talk about the power of these platforms like Facebook and Twitter uh, to set an agenda, the potential, the fear that they feel around censorship, the fear that they feel around the lack of transparency in the algorithm. So I wonder if this is one of the few places uh, where Democrats and Republicans may be able to find some common ground uh, against what they perceive to be uh, a collective threat uh, to the institutions and the stability uh, of, 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 of what they view as American culture. It's just It's just way too early to say. But that's a bombshell, man. That is just an absolute bombshell of a report.
3: Yeah, and we have to decide what magnitude it's going to have of uh, you know, an effect on the markets. And so we'll be looking out for that. But I tend to agree with you that you know, we've been waiting for this sort of comeuppance in yeah. Silicon Valley. You know, I mean, we, we've seen everything from the stocks going vertical. You know, we've seen everything, every story that can come out about as you know, this, the picture basically was as good as it gets for big tech. You know, I mean, the stocks have been outperforming since the March lockdown. We saw this huge bifurcation of, you know, the bigger cap, the better, um, and large cap stocks, especially right. the megacaps—Facebook, Apple, Google, Amazon—just totally outperformed the rest of the world since the Absolutely. March low. So, you know, it was, it's amazing now to just see that people are actually taking a look at their business model yeah. and, you know, learning that some of the ways that they make money are probably dishonest. Some of the ways that they take information from you is probably dishonest. So now we'll see if that, you know, if the government is actually going to take a stand and come after our innovators. So that's what the story is, Ash. I think that, um, you know, we have to keep an eye now on the eye of the storm in technology following that note. But I think it's really interesting, like another observation that I was making was that the Russell 2K has been gaining on the other sectors in the last two days as well. So it's just interesting to feel that reverberate through also how you know the wealth gap in the equity market starts to tighten up once big tech starts coming off the small stocks rally. So it just shows a little bit how at 30 vol, the market rotations are a lot more obvious than they are at 8 or 12 vol type of thing.
1: Yeah. And I'll add one more final wrinkle here. Let's go back. Obviously, the 1999 uh, court decision uh, for the Microsoft uh, breakup was reversed, uh, and it obviously didn't take place. Microsoft hasn't been uh, broken up. Uh, but let's go back one further. 1984, the AT&T divestiture. I grew up in AT&T country uh, out uh, by Bell Labs in uh, you know, Basking Ridge, New Jersey, in that area. That's where I grew up. Uh, and that divestiture was as big a bombshell as breaking up Google would be today in uh, in 2020. And I have to tell you, when you look back at the total return on equity, if you'd been a holder of AT stock in 1984, the companies that you would have gotten—I was trying to find a list—but you basically would have you would have picked up equity and all the regional Bell operating companies: Bell South, 9x, uh, uh, Pacific Telesis. Uh, let's see, just going through the list here. Um, uh, AT and T, of course, Verizon, uh, Quest, GTE, US West, all those companies had spinoffs from there. You you made out like gangbusters. I'm sure someone has done the analysis. Uh, maybe we can find it for Monday. Uh, but your your return on equity through that divestiture would have been absolutely massive. Now it was pretty chaotic at the time, uh, back in 1984, 1985. Uh, I wasn't yet watching markets, but I've read some of the business case analysis, and it was a it was a major deal. Uh, so you know, here we are. On the cusp of all this uncertainty, you know, my question to you, Tony, is we take a deep breath, right? And we step back and we try and think a little bit more holistically about what's happened. What would your advice be to a younger Tony Greer 20 years ago, watching these markets now with the wisdom of experience, looking at all this, looking at the chaos, looking at all of the things that are unfolding the news cycle, the political instability, uh, you know, instability or uncertainty around fiscal and monetary policy? Political risk. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. What do you tell uh, a Tony Greer in 2000 uh, looking at these markets? How do you tell him to assess what's happening?
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com.
3: Uh, Ash, if I try to put together some of the lessons over the years that I've learned that have been valuable to me, I, I think it comes back to the same thing of the sort of matchup of learning how to trade robotically. And learning how to trade a little bit robotically means letting the market dictate to you what is happening and study what the market is telling you is happening. I think that's the most important thing rather than sitting there and formulating a view in your textbook and then looking for the markets to match that. So I'm a big price action fan and watching what price action and price movements tell me. And you know, the other thing is to try to take the emotion out of trading. You know the the, the good part about being what I think is positioned properly, which is not squarely in the tech space, which has been rallying, but rather in some of the natural resources trades that I think are really attractive, given what the Fed is doing. You know, if you're in those trades and your fundamentals are sound and the platform for your trade is sound, you don't really sweat this 60-point S&P pullback that much. Now, that's the truth. Now, I am expecting that markets can pull back, but when the view remains intact that this is just stimulus being pushed out the calendar, Um, that this is the relief of a market unknown, you know, you can have your base view of thinking that the Federal Reserve is still trying to inflate assets. And that still is very, very much the truth, whether Trump punted the next stimulus bill into the next quarter or not. Um, That seems to be the case. And I think that that's overruling the markets now. So I think when you want to take the emotion out of it, Ash, you know, a little bit of combo of trading philosophy and what's going on, I think to take the emotion out of it is to make sure that you're starting off with the premise that is dictated by what the market is telling you. So we tried to sort of um, embrace all of those inflation expectations that were bubbling up on Monday and Tuesday and notice that in the short period of time that they had to give all of that back that they didn't yet and that tomorrow may be another story. But I'm going to have confidence that if those inflations expect, if inflation expectations stay bid where they are right now, then I'm going to be confident that the S and P is going to get back on its feet again, and this was just a short-term positioning issue. So as you can see, a lot of it is really just kind of having establishing a narrative for the markets and letting them tell you what they're doing. That's really all I can come up with.
1: Yeah, so hard to take the emotion out of it, but you know what I hear you saying there is: don't lose sight of the big picture a accommodative monetary policy uh, a federal reserve that is committed to doing whatever it takes the reflation trade on uh, assets as a consequence of ultra loose monetary policy for years and years don't lose sight of the big picture
3: yeah and and then you're actually what you want to do alongside that that i constantly do is reconfirm that the market is still playing along to that narrative you know so just seeing the the spreads um, excuse me the treasury curve rally yesterday, seeing the break-evens rally yesterday, seeing yields go higher yesterday, that is all in line with the view that has been created by what the market is telling us. So just once again, I want to take myself out of it. And I don't really establish views for myself. I look at it as the market establishes views for me,
1: and then I find the risk reward to overlay on top of it and do my own trading. Yeah. Tony, one final question. When you wake up at whatever ungodly hour you get up at, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning to get a jump on markets, what are you going to be looking at tomorrow?
3: I got to focus on the bond market, Ash, because I still think that the equity market was rallying in response to a steeper yield curve this week. You know, we're only two sessions through a big five-session heart of October week where we should be expecting God knows what to happen. Um. You know, it's definitely getting to the heart of the matter, though, and saying, is this inflation pickup story still intact and will it still be intact for the next couple of weeks? And if so, then I want a position to buy a dip in the S&P. If I feel like those inflation expectations fully revert to where they came from two weeks ago and we give all that back because the stimulus is now delayed, that's going to be a big problem for the stock market. So. I think that that's really the, you know, it doesn't come to, it doesn't come down to that tech headline. It doesn't come down to the president's headline. You know, it still, for me, is going to come back to the macro factors. And if I have to touch on one macro factor that I think is important now that I just thought of, which we haven't yet, is that Christine Lagarde this morning was saying that, you know, she's basically echoing Mario Draghi with a whatever it takes kind of thing for the ECB now. And this morning, she led on that if negative rates were the necessary next move, that that would be her necessary next move. So we have to be careful now that she doesn't try to halt her currency from inflating too much and weaken her currency. And then we go on a dollar run that knocks risk off of its path. So I think those two things, Ash, are probably the top things on my mind, right? Following the treasury markets and the FX markets really closely. To see if they hold on to that macro picture that they've been painting for the stock market for the last week, or I would say three to four days, more accurately, and that was risk on and
1: let's buy them. So we'll see if this follow through. Dollar going on a bull run would change everything. Sure would. Yeah. Tony Greer, editor of Morning Navigator. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Ash. Great day.